Welcome to Healing Wisdom, a Thursday morning talk show featuring guests sharing their stories and knowledge. We discuss the healing aspects of the arts, metaphysics, social justice, and adventure through all types of terrain. So join me, Pandora Peoples, here on WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown and WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. We're streaming worldwide at WOMR.org. Hello, hello out there. My guest today is wine expert and guide, Mel Itel. She's going to be talking with us a little bit about wine history and her favorite wines. Mel joins us from her wine cellar. Thank you very much for having me. This is fun. What's the temperature inside your cellar? So I live in New Hampshire and where we are in the States, uh, are, we're primarily sand in this area, which a lot of people... New Hampshire is the the granite state, so they automatically assume everything is granite. Um, But just like at the beach, when you get past like that first six inches of of sand that's really hot, underneath is nice and cool. Um, So our our basement, my my cellar area, usually stays anywhere between like 57 and 62 degrees year round. Um, So that, that makes it like the perfect temperature for storing wine. Um, although I've been doing a lot of um, studying, so a lot of my rack is empty because I haven't been able to like actually stock up when you're you're tasting and studying and and showcasing. So <laughs> you're recently back from a trip to Ireland. Did you do some wine tasting on your trip? And can you talk about about your adventure? So ironically, yes, there is wine in Ireland. Um, they don't necessarily have all of the vineyards, but they do have a ton of of local wine shops. Um, I went to, I was in Cork and Killarney and Galway, and I actually found a wine location in each of them. Um, One of them, uh, we were there over the Easter weekend, so everything was basically closed. So I didn't get to to visit them, um, but their shop looked really cool. Um, But the other locations, uh, I was able to go in and have a couple of glasses and uh, the Nice thing about visiting someplace outside the United uh, the United States, especially in the European uh, section of the world, is they have options for different wines that we don't necessarily get here in the United States. Um, so we drink a lot of our wine here in the United States, and sure, we get we get wine that's imported from Italy and France and Portugal and um, Australia and all of those places, but. Uh, some of these were like Hungarian wines. We don't necessarily see a lot of Hungarian wines here. Um, so I got to have one of those. Uh, Austrian wines. We have a very small amount of Austrian wine that that at least I'm I'm able to get here in New Hampshire. So I tried a lovely Austrian wine. It's neat to talk with other wine lovers from all over the world because you have something that's in common. You can pour a glass together and you can talk about the wine if you don't know anything else about the person. So it was it was very neat. And I love Ireland. Um, it was my first trip there and I will definitely be going back. But uh, they're an incredibly friendly group of people as well. Um, so you sit down and have a pint or you have a glass and uh, you walk away friends. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the history of wine and maybe say your favorite story as as it pertains to the history of wine goes back? I mean, it's it's back in Noah days of the Bible. Like he he comes off the ark and one of the first things he does is he plants a vineyard. 
timing wise, by the time he gets the grapes growing and things like that, it's probably like two to three years. So, so that, that part is kind of left out of it, but like it, it goes back historically really, really far. Wine has been a part of history um, since almost the beginning of time uh, or the beginning of recorded time at least. And there's so much history that goes along with it that some of my favorite books to read are based on the wine revolution throughout the years. Uh, Not necessarily like prohibition and people coming out of that, although that's interesting. I really love reading about how uh, in World War I and World War II, France was basically decimated and uh, the the vineyards and the winemakers and all of the cellars that they had for all of their wine was, was utilized uh, for not great purposes. Uh, but to see how they fought back was really, really interesting because they they, they would do things like taint it with just a little bit of kerosene. Uh, so, for instance, Riesling, uh, which is very much a, a known grape from Germany, is planted all over the world. And one of its attributes is it can smell like petrol. It can smell like gasoline. And that actually comes from the skin of the grape. It only comes in the skin of the grape when it's a Riesling. None of the other grape varieties have that. So they tainted the wine with just a hint of kerosene or petrol and poisoned people. So, so like that was kind of how they fought back. Like they, they didn't have weapons, but they utilized what they could to create this ruckus uh, amongst like the great leaders because they were drinking all of the best wines so they did something that that would make them not feel so great and possibly like cause them great harm uh, because they were still fighting for their country and they were still fighting for their land Uh, so it was very interesting to see how people utilize what they have in order to, to to make it so to speak wow now that is a weaponized wine So Riesling, is it your favorite grape? Riesling is, so Riesling is my favorite white grape. Um, It's very misunderstood. Um, It's one of those grapes that, or at least one of those wines that most Americans, when I say I love Riesling, they go, oh, you like sweet wines. But Riesling outside of the United States is usually very dry and crisp. Um, and doesn't have a lot of sweetness to it. Um, And that's because the American palate is geared more towards a sweeter confection, a a, a sweeter wine, a sweeter, uh, they they add sugar to everything, it seems like. If you look on the packages of of most of the products that we consume, somewhere there's sugar or corn syrup or um, agave or some sort of sweetener because that's how the American palate is. But with Riesling, Riesling grapes can be made into a very, very, very dry, meaning no sweetness whatsoever, all the way up to what's called a Trockenbierenauschlese, which is berries that are so sweet, they dried on the vine, and they have to go out and pick the berries individually, and then they try and make a wine out of whatever is left of that juice, which is very, very concentrated. So it can go from one one spectrum all the way to the other. They make bubbly with it. Um, It's called sect and it's gorgeous. I absolutely love it. So as far as white wine goes, you can have a Riesling and it can be anything on the white wine spectrum, which is, is why I absolutely love it. Well, that's really versatile. So what about red wine then? Red wine is very difficult because it depends on what I'm eating. Um, Red wine is usually something that I, I gear more towards uh, with food. 
that being said, uh, tonight, uh, after I, I get off, off our, our, our call here, I'm actually going to be studying with uh, one of my wine, he's my wine bestie. Uh, we're taking our WSET3 class together and we're doing side-by-side uh, -side tasting. So uh, I'm trying a, or drinking a, a Southeastern Australia Shiraz and then we're going to do a Syrah, which is the exact same grape variety, just from a different region. They call it different things um, to see if we can like tell the difference. And uh, I've already had this one. Um, it's very fruity. It's very um, summery. Like a lot of people say, no red wine in summer. I highly disagree uh, because red wine can be drunk any time of the year. And this would be a great example because it's like very fruity and not a lot of tannin. So you can like actually have it as like a punch or a, a sangria uh, and it makes it, it a delicious sangria. I just did that last night with it, which is why half the bottle is gone. <laughs> um, but red wine is is very difficult to to pinpoint because it all depends on, on really what I'm eating. If I like had to choose a red grape variety, right now instantly i would probably say it would have to be malbec can you talk about import quality and wine getting skunked or going bad so the the first part of the question as far as as getting wines imported and things like that every country has such different laws with, when it comes to growing their grapes um, here in the united states every single state has a winery. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have vineyards, but every single state has some sort of a winery where they are producing wine. And most of the time they're either purchasing grapes or they're purchasing the juice, the grapes that have already been pressed and it's getting shipped to them so that they can start the fermentation and the winemaking process. It, it all depends on how long those grapes have been sitting or how long the juice has been sitting because you can you can chill a juice down to almost the freezing point almost and when you're ready to ferment it again or ferment it to to create wine you just take out what you need and you create the fermentation process that's actually one of the things that they do uh, with the dessert osti in italy um, it's a beautiful sparkling dessert wine and they create all of the juice and keep it nice and chilled so that it doesn't spoil and it doesn't uh, change the flavor of anything. And as they need the product, they're able to put it on onto the market. Every country is different. It's also different as far as uh, laws for biodynamic or organic, um, because here in the United States, in order to have that label on, you have to have a certain number of years where your vineyard has like zero chemicals. I believe it's five. I think it was seven. Now it's five. But your manufacturing facility also has to be indicated as organic. So there are certain chemicals that can't even be on the property. So that takes a long time to do. So you can create a, a beautiful wine that really hasn't seen any kind of chemical process because that's what the winery is still functioning. They're, they're getting to that process, but they can't necessarily label themselves as organic or as biodynamic because they're not there yet. And that will actually affect how uh, the wine ages. Um, everybody really kind of, they, they beat down the, the sulfites. Sulfites are a naturally occurring product in anything that ferments. 
Um, we actually have more sulfites that's on our frozen food, uh, like our frozen vegetables and frozen um, French fries, things like that, than we do in wine. Um, wine, if it has at least 10 parts per million of a sulfite, it has to be put on the label. Whereas a dried apricot has so much more than that, and it's on the label, but nobody really notices because it's not talked about a lot. Part of that, I believe, is because people aren't necessarily consuming gigantic boxes of ap dried apricots in one sitting. <laughs> it, it takes a while to consume that, whereas something that you drink, um, it, it's a little bit easier to, to consume. Uh, that's just a, a personal observation that, that I've had with that. But that in and of itself will, will depend on how the wine will age, um, how the wine will ship. Um, the other thing is, how did the wine ship? Um, did they ship it on a shipping container that wasn't cooled in any way, shape, or form? And it's been sitting out on the ocean waiting to get into a, a harbor for the last three months. So it's literally been cooking on that shipping container. Or was it refrigerated and they were able to keep everything cool? There, there's so many factors that, that go into how a wine could be manipulated. Um, it might be manipulated manually, um, adding sulfites, adding um, acetic acid because there's not enough acid in the grapes, uh, adding tannin. Um, they could add that as well. Or it could just be that it got stuck on a shipping container and we don't know until we open it, which is the unfortunate part. But a lot of locations, a lot of wineries, a lot of um, wine stores, if you have a bad bottle, you can actually return it and they will give you a refund because they can also get a refund. What are the laws about labeling wine? Basically, with the exception of sulfites, they don't have to put any kind of a warning label on it. And Part of the reason for that is because the items that they are adding into a wine, like the acetic acid or the tannin, is a byproduct of a grape. So since your wine is 100% grapes, if they're adding something that's a byproduct from grapes, they don't have to put it on the label because it's all grapes. So for instance, there is this uh, wonderful little thing called Mega Purple. Mega purple comes from very concentrated tannin and juice that's left over in the skins of the red grapes. They press everything down and it is just dark, dark, dark. It's the tannin, it's that pulp, it gets like all of whatever is left over and it creates this, this additive, which is 100% grapes, but it's an additive. It, it doesn't come from the original that or the original uh, vintage or the original, but it's 100% grapes. So it's completely natural. Uh, it just adds in a lot of that purple color. So if you're ever drinking red wine and you notice that your teeth get more purple than they normally do, it could be that you have a very uh, high tannin grape variety, say like a Malbec or a Cabernet Sauvignon, or they could have added some mega purple because they the color didn't come out the way that they wanted it to. And commercially, if I buy a wine that I know every single time I buy it, it's going to taste exactly the same way. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to create that consumer product that people buy because they know and they love it. As far as additives that are uh, that are put into wine that uh, we don't necessarily know about. It's so, it actually is so few and far between 
that the majority of the wines that come to us only really have a lot of, of the acid and the tannin and, and maybe some sugar. Um, I do know that if you add a sugar to a wine that is anything but a grape sugar or a beet sugar, it has to be on the label. You'll actually have a nutrition label on. Um, so that is covered by law. And, and I know that because of some dessert wines that are out there because they're more of a, like a cocktail brand as opposed to a, an actual like dessert wine. You're listening to Healing Wisdom on Outermost Community Radio, WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown. I'm Pandora Peoples, and we're speaking with wine expert and guide Mel Eitel. Tell us about your wine tastings. I started out, and I am still with a company called Traveling Vineyard. They're actually based out of Massachusetts um, in Ipswich. And uh, think of uh, an in-home uh, in-home party like uh, Avon or Pampered Chef or, or anything like that, only it's tasting wine. Um, so their wine is completely exclusive. They are only sold through a traveling vineyard wine guide, which is where I got the, the title of a wine guide. Um, and they're also the company that really got me started into my love affair of wine education. And uh, that's actually where I've transitioned to now is uh, I do a lot of wine educating. Um, I am a I have a lot of titles behind my name, um, and a lot of times it's for no other reason than I was curious about the region. So, uh, for instance, I am an Argentine wine expert, and that's just on paper. Um, I haven't been there. Um, I studied it. I love Argentinian wine. That doesn't necessarily mean I know everything about it because it's, it's a crop. It changes every year. The weather changes, the the climate changes, the grape growing changes. They could have hail one year and and it completely decimates the the crop in one area. So they have to go and get grapes from a different area of of Argentina. So uh, the, those are the types of things that that I absolutely love learning about, and then I get to portray to to others. So I do wine tasting events, um, corporate. I do birthday parties stack the rack for bridal showers and they are 100% 21 plus only. I'm a big stickler on that. So if you have all of the girls coming over and they couldn't find a babysitter and they bring their two-year-old, I don't serve the wine because you're going to be drinking some really good stuff in a short amount of time. And then I know you have to drive that baby home. Um, so I, I, I'm very strict to make sure that all of my tastings are 21 plus only. And that's also a good thing for people who have been with the kids uh, or they've been with their family and they're like, here, honey, you take the kids. I'm going to go drink. <laughs> but it's a it's an educational event. Um, and I feel like the best way that you can learn about wine is by drinking it. There's a lot of fun experiments that I do uh, because there's a ton of science that goes into it as well. Tell us about vintage wine. So um, wine that can be aged is few and far between. About 90-ish percent of wine that's on the market is ready to drink. So most countries, even when countries have uh, the stellar, exceptional wines that, that you feel like can age, can really only age about another 10 years. And, and what I mean by age is if you leave it in the bottle and let it sit for 10 years, is it going to get better? So that's why a lot of people, they, they'll buy like a case of wine and they'll try one in one year. And then the next year tr they'll try it again. And then they'll try it again because wine often will age itself out. Um, it becomes very flat. 
uh, very flabby. All of the fruit flavors kind of go away and you're kind of stuck with something that's like cardboard um, or uh, it's very stale. Um, but I always like to say like you're, you're, you, it's that smell where you walk down into like a, a basement. And for me, that's, that's a, a trigger of a good smell. It, it reminds me of being at my grandmother's house when I was a little kid, but I don't want to drink it. So, <laughs> so the, the majority of wines that can age, I always say, reach out to the winemaker, find out how long this wine could age, because you may have a niece or a nephew or a godchild that's born this year, and you want to buy them a vintage so that when they're 21, or if they're in a different country and it's a different drinking age, you can give them this bottle where they can celebrate with a bottle from the year that they were born. Some people, they might have to dump that out because it's just not age-worthy wine. Um, and, and not every wine that is a vintage wine is worth, worth aging either because a vintage wine simply means the vintage is the year that the grapes were picked. So if you have a bottle that's a 2019, that means every grape that was in that bottle is from the harvest of 2019. So it may have been a really good year and you want to age that bad boy, or it may have been a really off year and you want to drink it within the next six to eight months because it's starting to go downhill. And it might be sangria time. <laughs> exactly. It might be sangria time. <laughs> What are your thoughts on the health benefits of wine and do you have any headache remedies? I, I would say health benefits are minimal when, when it comes to any kind of alcohol. Um, always, always, always drink in moderation. And um, I, I will quote uh, one of the, uh, the wine educators that is uh, part of the Today Show. Her name is Leslie Sobraco. She also works with Traveling Vineyard. Um, I, I've been lucky enough to uh, to share a glass of wine with her and and things like that. Um, but she says dilution is the solution. For every glass of wine you drink, you need to drink at least the equivalent of a glass of water. Um, so that does two things. It helps to filter out, give your liver a, a break in between the glass of wine and your next one. Um, but it also helps to hydrate you because um, the majority of the time people get a hangover or they get a headache because they're dehydrated. Some people use uh, a Gatorade or Pedialyte in between. Um, as long as you're, you're getting that, that water back in the system, that, that's a, a great thing. Wine, especially wine that, that has tannin, uh, which would be a red wine, has antioxidants. I always see the memes that, that say if wine has antioxidants um, and it's anti-aging, I guess I'm living forever. Um, it, that's, that's not quite uh, how it works, but, uh, but it does give you some of those benefits uh, because it, it does have the antioxidant effect. Um, but so does eating regular grapes. Um, you could get the exact same benefit. So for any of your, your viewers or listeners who are, are looking to, to get those benefits, just eat some grapes. Don't peel your grapes. Eat your, your grapes because it's the, the skins that really, really do things. But um, yeah, dilution is the solution and drink in moderation and, uh, and enjoy what you drink. Thank you so much, Mel Itell, for joining us today. Thank you very much. This was, this was fun. I love talking about wine. Her website is ibringthewine.com and you can find her on Facebook at Mel Itell's Wine Guide Adventures. You can also contact her at nhwineguide at gmail.com. Correct. And I'm also on Instagram, which is ibringthewine. 
um, and you can send me a message through there as well. Hey everyone, it's Haisa Delori here from Klanda Bossa Nova. We are celebrating 10 years of playing Bossa Nova here on Cape Cod. Come join us for our celebration show on Sunday, September 17th from 4.30 to 5.30 at the Cape Cod Museum of Art located at 60 Hope Lane in Dennis. For tickets, visit the event section of the Cape Cod Museum webpage at www ccmoa.org. Again, that's www.ccmoa.org. We hope to see you there on the 17th. This is Caravan from Stefan Rembel.
You've been listening to Healing Wisdom at Outermost Radio. All of our shows are podcasts at WOMR.org. Also check out HealingWisdomRadioShow.com and contact me at Pandora at WOMR.org. music is provided by Mazen. You can find her website at mazenmusic.com. That's M-A-E-S-Y-N 